Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Howard Parker and me. I'm Katie Daly. Baltimore's 8th Annual Charm City Bluegrass Festival is scheduled this year for April 24th and 25th in Druid Hill Park. Howard Parker spoke with the moving forces behind the festival, Phil Chorney and Adam Kerr, about the event's success, partnerships with other music festivals, and the most effective use of social media. We think it's important for you to get to know Phil and Adam, as we predict that their influence on how music festivals are produced and promoted will be felt for years to come. What prompted you to become Bluegrass Festival event producers? What uh, Give okay. us a little history. Just, and, okay, yeah, I'll give, I'll give you the history. So I... I um, I was living in Hamden at the time, and I had been managing a Beatles reggae band uh, called Yellow Dub Marine out of the D.C. area. And I was, I'd been producing festivals for a couple of years in the jam scene and working on other people's big festivals and managing, you know, jam band kind of stuff. But I'd always been a bluegrass, folk music, Americana music, whatever you want to call it, like fan. It's kind of like the music that I'm drawn to. So I... Uh, <laughs> When I was younger, I'm not a musician by any means. I think I can play like three chords on mandolin, maybe. Maybe two on guitar, if we're lucky. Um, but this is pre-kids. We were living in Hamden, and my, my buddy Jordan, who I was co-managing Yellow Dub with, would come over and would just bring his guitar, and he was a big you know bluegrass you know fan, and he would just pick. So I'd pick up this mandolin and pick two chords, and we did that for a couple of weeks, and then people just started showing up at my house and bringing beer on a Wednesday night, and started making a ruckus, and it was a lot of fun. And so... Jordan and I were like, we could, you know, there's not really a bluegrass roots music festival here in Baltimore City proper. I mean, there's plenty of things in counties and far away, but there's a young, vibrant community here. And at the time, uh, Union Craft Brewing was just getting up and running, and there were, you know, picks around Hamden. So we we were friends with some of the folks who um, who founded Union. We went to them and said, hey, let's throw a bluegrass party festival at your uh, brewery. And that's how Charm City was really born, was through this idea of bringing people together who played music. And we both used our experience in music, in producing bands and festivals to create a festival out of nothing. And that was year one of Charm City at, uh, at Dridal Park. And then, I'm sorry, at uh, Union Craft Brewing. And then we sold that out like a month and a half prior to the festival, like the date. And so we knew the next year we had to go bigger. And uh, we worked, we, we kind of asked around and scouted locations throughout the city. And we got connected with... Uh, at the time, Councilman Nick Mosby from uh, District 7 um, in the city, and he suggested Druid Hill Park, took us over there to um, to the park. We kind of looked around, and I stood atop uh, Arkansas Terrace, and where, like, um, I guess that's Greenspring. I can't remember the road. I think it's Reichertown or Greenspring hits, and there's this uh, these columns, and then it slopes down this hill, and I looked down there, and I could just see a festival. You know, I could see a big, you know, this, this sweeping lawn sloping downhill with stages at the bottom. There's a road at the bottom for production. Like, it kind of all made sense. Mm-hmm. And that's year two. We moved it to that location. Um, and that's really where this has grown from is just that ability to, to, to hope people like what we're doing, hope, hope that we're buying good talent. And then you're, I guess, Adam, you and I, you started working at Laureate um, at the time, around year three, I guess, mm-hmm. and I was doing, I was on a marketing team for for a, for a big corporation. Adam was too, and Adam's a fan of bluegrass music, and we became friends. And he uh, started uh, helping us out with social media. And that next year, we were like, "Yeah, right, you're on our team. Like, <laughs> we need you." <laughs> you know, and not that I, because like, I mean, I come from a marketing background too. But the festival was growing at such a rapid pace, I really needed to figure out how to diversify roles and responsibilities. 
and I needed someone I could trust and who I knew how to do social media the right way, and that's Adam in a nutshell. So. And Adam's known to me as a bluegrass marketeer yeah. for not only Charm City, but a, <laughs> but a couple of uh, very well-known festivals. Uh, yeah, I've done, I've done work for Gray Fox, Huck Finn, um, and some others. Significant so, festivals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and consulting with a lot of other companies and current clients include you know no depression folk alley pine cone and s- several bands right and uh the festival itself has sort of become a phenomenon I, I i think in in baltimore it's unusual in a couple of respects i think um similar to uh hardly strictly bluegrass maybe it's it's more of an urban urban setting and it's also <clears throat> not quite what i would call a classic bluegrass Format. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. That was never really our intention. We, we wanted to pay like pay tribute and pay homage to traditional bluegrass in Baltimore, but traditional bluegrass has never really like been a Baltimore thing. The Baltimore sound, by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think is traditional. It has traditional elements to it, but it's always been a bit louder, a bit faster, a bit more progressive. Um, and I think that's what distinguishes distinguishes it from a lot of the bluegrass traditions, in, you know, outside of the city itself. Stretching into the county and into Appalachia, and obviously, you know, Northern Virginia and DC. So I think th- we've taken that kind of feeling and vibe, and kind of the the gritty blue collarness of Baltimore, and combined it into a festival where we really, I mean, biggest things to us are local, you know, local artisans, local beer, local, you know, local crafts, local food, you know, local music. I mean, obviously, we have regional and national acts, but keeping all that mindset. Um, front and center is really drives the festival in a lot of ways. Now, another thing that uh, I noted, whether or not it's it's accurate or not, is that you seem to have a um, a younger target demographic. Is is that? Do you think that's accurate? And is this something that you've done purposefully, both of you guys? And I hate to ask, what 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 about the older? Yeah, I, the older, more classic crowd. What? It's just, it's just what we've attracted. So we tend to get a relatively speaking, and if you compare it to other bluegrass festivals, and especially on the traditional side, we do yield younger. Um, so anywhere from I would say thirties to early fifties is probably our sweet spot, and where most of the audience is made up on. I think it's a combination of our partnership with Union for providing the beer. You know, that brand within itself attracts a younger, hip crowd with everything they do independently. Uh, other vendors, including the Charmery, Local Oyster, um, and several others, they also have cultivated their own audiences that tend to attract a younger hipper crowd so bringing all of those brands mixed with progressive bluegrass music you know like you know there's so many like you like know we had like the wood brothers right the they're wood not, they're yeah, like the a wood brothers. they're like a neo-traditional folk band that includes elements of bluegrass elements of blues and rock that you you could find them at any americana jam band festival they've also been you know filling out the rosters of festivals like gray fox and so because we're able to bring this into an urban environment where i mean average age group you know demographic this is just their this is their um their town i mean this is where they reside so they don't have to leave the city limits to enjoy a full day outside 
you know, with their kid, if they have kids, no kids, I mean, super family friendly. So, you know, that's just one example. But I mean, everything from like Keller and the McCurries, which, you know, yeah, I was trying not, to think of some yeah, is, is not without giving away current lineup. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like Steve Canyon Rangers are another example of that. They, Steve they Canyon Rangers. Perfectly yeah. well. I mean, the traditional crowd, they do great at Gettysburg every year. Yeah. Right. They come to Charm City and they have the entire Frank Sullivan Dirty Kitchen up with them and they're just shredding for 15 minutes mm-hmm. straight. I don't know that you'd find that at Gettysburg, or I don't know how it would go over versus with our crowd. Like, we have people dancing and raging hard up front. Like, our, the way we have our seating is the first probably 60, 70, 80 feet in front of the rail is is standing room only. And then every all the seated folks are pushed for a little bit further back. And there's no bad view vantage point. But it allows yeah. for the artist and the crowd to get incredibly intimate and feed off each, other, each other's energy. I have a really great example of that, actually, is the Lone Bellow. From a couple years ago, I mean, Lone Bellow has has tidbits of they have acoustic instruments. Acoustic instruments, right? Like our our definition of bluegrass is if it has one of the four major <laughs> bluegrass instruments, it's good enough for us. Like that's kind of like our that's been our mantra, you know. And so it allows us to you know, hey, you have a mandolin, great, you're bluegrass, you know. And I say that sarcastically, but like that's kind of really what we we've, we've done. And, and, and then we've incorporated elements of the traditional stuff, you know, the seldom seen, the Danny Paisleys, who are fantastic musicians. Ricky Skaggs. Ricky Skaggs, you know, but it's it's an ebb and flow within the vibe of our audience. The Lone Bellows, going back to Lone Bellow, though, is I remember um, they were rocking out. I mean, people were just going nuts for them. And they got everyone to be really, really quiet. And they asked all the kids to come up to the very, very front. And they made sure all the little kids got into the VIP section and had them, like, they were the ones, like, you know, these eight, nine-year-olds who were right up front for them and like were singing along to all their songs where the parents were behind them and it created this like really awesome vibe. I, I remember the feeling I got <clears throat> seeing, you know, they brought a couple little kids up on stage to sit like right in front of the, um, the pedal, I think it was the, the guy playing uh, keyboard, right in front of his keyboard rig, you know, and they got to sit on stage and watch this like strong, powerful female mandolin player with her band like vibing, you know, that's a power, that's powerful imagery, that's a powerful feeling. And that's what we're trying to evoke, you know. It's less it, the music's important, but it, that our festival, the, that feeling though, is really what we try to emulate and, and and radiate from our festival. And that's just one example of how, you know, a band that may not be necessarily what anyone would call traditional bluegrass or bluegrass at all fits so perfectly well into our audience's vision of what bluegrass is to them. Yeah. I think that's equally as important. We're also, eight, I mean, we're coming up on our eighth year, so we don't have decades and decades of history, yeah. of history with perhaps when, you know, bluegrass had this revitalization and there were so many traditional bands out there in the market. So I think, you know, mixed with kind of like we're less than a decade old, mixed with the vendors mixed with the more progressive tunes that we tend to bring in, it naturally attracts this this younger crowd. The beer flows, the mead flows, yeah, the food, the food. The food we take great pride in curating amazing food vending yeah. as well. We have over forty vendors at our festival, and I think that holistic experience brings people. I mean, there are older people that are over the age and of sixty two, and there are traditional bluegrass lovers who come to our festival because we do have elements of that. But the rest of it is just palatable enough for them that they oftentimes leaving leave saying, you know, I found something kind of cool there. It was just enough for me. Yeah. I'm coming back because I found something I didn't know I loved. And it goes both ways. I yeah, mean, there's young 100%. people that find – at the end of the day, you have to give to get. You have to – in order to build a new 
audience, you need to give people first what they want and what they know. You bring them in, and then they're exposed to so much more. Yeah. So, you know, when I hear at times, it's not too too much because our audience knows what they're going to get from us and, Sometimes and love it you know or not <laughs> we there are times where we hear you know that ain't bluegrass or why are you bringing in that band and it's like well the these bands that we curate in one way or the other are in the scene there's a lot of affinity for a lot of these bands in different networks and i can definitely and say we've pushed we've pushed that envelope Pretty far the last couple years. We have, but like even <laughs> I'm proud of even it. even with Deer Tick last year, who's an indie rock band for the most part, they have very strong Baltimore ties, and we know that a lot of people who like progressive bluegrass music also like Deer Tick, and they had a big, you know, they have relatively big draw on the market. So to bring a band like that in, who writes music about Baltimore, he's recorded albums in Sound Maryland. will play a mandolin from time to time, you know, and they have instrumentation, three part harmonies. At times, there's some influence there. Yeah. You know, we're okay with bringing in a band like that because it'll attract a new fan that will be exposed to all the other great bluegrass And look, music, if it's good so. enough for Newport, it's good enough for me. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I really find intriguing about um, the festival and the planning going up to it is that, for instance, I cannot go to your website today and get a complete lineup. You can't get any lineup. You last yet, year's lineup. You guys sell VIP tickets well in advance. It's sort of like a trust us kind of deal. And and it obviously works for you. I I, I don't know of any other any other festival that uh, Telluride. I mean I would say Telluride and Rocky Grass and Floyd Fest, you know, some of those like I actually this year's the first year I experienced looking at Floyd Fest tickets. I just wanna see what it was all about. We might be going my family might be going. And, I mean, those camping tickets sold out within, like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, there are pockets of that. But our, our audience does trust us. They've trusted us from the beginning. And they know that we offer them a substantial discount, you know, to get to, to trust us, to get these tickets. And it, mm-hmm. help, it helps from a business perspective. But it also fosters that trust breeds more trust. So year after year, you know, I guess I would love to know. Maybe Adam, you've run the analysis. What our return rate is on uh, on trusting us buyers? I would say it's pretty high. I mean, anecdotally speaking, we've never. I can't. I can't remember any major complaints from any of those audience members. Can you? Mm-mm. Is there? I, I I don't want to know specific figures because it's it's. I'm sure it's proprietary information. But r- roughly, uh, the trust us the the advanced ticket sales versus gate. Uh, our advanced sales, I mean, I would say, what, 85% year, each year? Total advanced? Total advanced, yeah, up until day of. It's, it's probably like 60 to 70%. You think it's that low? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not, that's, not a low, that's not a low number. Okay. I mean, I thought it was a little higher, but it could it's be usually around, split the difference. Yeah, it's usually around 40%. Yeah. Um, we definitely have a significant I would even consider, sale. like, the week... Like the week leading up to the event is kind of okay. So if you want present. to take, yeah, okay. So if you want to take the week leading up, I could see, I could agree that yeah, around sixty five. Yeah, I mean probably. the actual day of sales are Minimal. are pretty are pretty low. It's usually a few hundred. Yeah, yeah. Our actual day of like yeah, actual would, day of twenty four hours before the festival is tiny. talking like two three hundred people. Yeah, it's not significant. Yeah, uh, roughly four thousand attendants, <clears throat> uh, depending on how you count. Uh, I know how festivals typically count. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to uh, Friday and Saturday, we're probably closer to 5,500. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably about right. 
No. Two stages. Two stages. Oh, three three stages. stages. Three stages. Yeah, two two main stages that are that um that act concurrently. So one band will play on one stage. As soon as they're done, the next stage you know um, gets going. So there's very little break in the music. And then we have a third tent stage, which has really grown from a workshop stage to a full on like stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gangster Grass last year. I've never seen that tent stage that packed before. They crushed it. Mm-hmm. It was mind blowing. I you know. And uh, to watch, I mean, you can see video. We've got some video out on our YouTube channel of the audience reaction to Gangster Grass. It was so fantastic. We used Gangster Grass as our title song for our recap video, you know, or their their music as our mm-hmm. recap video. So that, that's kind of a cool, unique thing we've going on. Now, back, backing up a little bit, um, it's it's just not the festival. You you have certain events that you promote that sort of lead up. To the festival concert series, I notice uh, uh, band competitions that mm-hmm. I, I think they get a slot at the festival. The, the yeah. winner, actually, there's more than one band. I think there are three dates listed and uh, so, concert I mean, date by ten. So yeah, we do a band competition. We have a registration, obviously, period, and then we have two uh, shows, two battle dates at Union Craft Brewery. They have a great space, so four bands each of those dates eight total and then we have the finals at a local venue called the eight by ten and then the winner this year actually gets a thousand bucks they get a slot at gray fox slot at del fest and a slot at charm city bluegrass so we're working with a lot of other promoters to help bolster and make this band competition something that's really worthwhile for the bands that come out They get tons of exposure. Each of those preliminary rounds have around 400, 450 people that show up. Um, They're in all of our promotions. The finals, you know, they get 300 to 350 people at that at that date. And um, it's a great up. We want to continue to work with other partners to provide awesome exposure and opportunities for up and coming bluegrass folk Americana bands in the region or really whoever wants to apply and be a part of these dates isn't, and then isn't this uh, this cross pollination uh, with other festivals um unique uh, yes i think it is a little unique um you know did we, we we're good friends with the folks who do who put on delfest and adam and i both have pretty strong ties to gray fox um adam you know did marketing work for them you know i've known mary is been a mentor of mine since I started in this in this bluegrass business. So you know so. how you know how great a great of people right, they exactly. are, mm-hmm. and the folks at Delfest have been very open to us since year one. Um, and so you know, last year I helped Delfest acquire all the bands for their Bloody Mary bar, which was their really showcased the talent from this region. You had uh, like Jacob's Ferry Stragglers and Man About a Horse. Um, Wicked Sycamore, you know, that sort of thing. It was great. It was fantastic. And so they asked me, you know, when I said this year, you, uh, they wanted me to help secure that same talent for that, you know, that portion. I said, you know, we really should incorporate the band, our band competition into helping to select that talent. And so they came on board and then Mar- I told Mary Dow about it and she was all about it right away. And so, and they, they're providing an honorarium to whoever wins as well. So it's really a great chance to get incredible exposure but beyond that i mean we do events all year mm-hmm. um you know we just did a really cool fall event uh at union craft brewing with mm-hmm. the gibson brothers frank sullivan man about a horse front country is that all Robin under Trey. the uh, the charm city yeah. band yeah exactly brand. yep and that's where the nonprofit. at you know as we transition to a nonprofit um in 2021 
uh, the focus, our focus is going to really, our mission is going to really be on education, promotion, and preservation of acoustic roots music within this region. Yeah, um, and then we do a lot of co-promotions yeah, with venues exactly. around Baltimore, Creative Alliance, or in Maryland, yeah. you know, and we do some free events at some other spots, and you know, just as many events year-round as we possibly can, we do, and we end up getting a good amount of them. So we keep the name out there year round, and that's part of that promotion and preservation of the music. You know, now, yeah. you, you've 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 mentioned uh, partnerships pretty prominently, um, and that's another thing uh, that might be um, sort of unique to the the Charm City, uh, as they'd call it, an empire. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but again, without sharing anything proprietary, how do you guys go about forming partnerships? What what do you what do you key on? What what do you look for? Uh, I mean, it's it's we're 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 at festivals. Like we go as music fans to festivals. We meet people. We network, and through those networking opportunities, we just start talking about ways that we can partnership to help each other out. Because especially in roots music, I. I feel like you're stronger in numbers and you can probably say that is true for anything. So the more collaboration and cross pollination that we have with some of the other bigger festivals and the bigger festivals have in this Baltimore market, which is tough to crack. It's a very tough market. Um, if you don't really have any precedent here or name recognition, the benefit goes both ways. So, that's mainly how we we meet these people. We're just out in the scene. We're at festivals. We're at shows. We get introduced. Um, Phil, through his relationships with the bands and agents and managers, gets introduced to people. You know, through end of like outside of Charm City Bluegrass, our clients, me working for the people that I work with, I get introduced to people. Phil working with the people that he gets introduced to people. We just get introduced to a variety of different people and. You know, ABC, always be closing. So you always have <laughs> Charm City in mind in yeah. ways to promote. Someone, someone's been through corporate marketing 101, one or two. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Yeah. So, I mean, that's in a nutshell, I would say, how we do it. Yeah. And we're always trying to represent the brand wherever we go. Yeah. We go. I mean, it's... With, with it's regards to uh, those festivals that have been around for a long time, uh, uh, decades, uh, mm -hmm and who might be experiencing um, uh, diminished attendance for, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, it could be typically because their audiences are, are aging out or they've not been able to, to attract another demographic, a demographic that you guys obviously um, have pretty much your thumbs on. What, do you have some recommendation or can you describe how you might use certain digital technologies to yeah. you know, to reach out to, I mean, I to can, your demographic? I can go first and then Phil can speak yeah. on this, but I feel... Well, we have kind of, I don't want to say varying viewpoints, but we have different kind of... We, we Adam and I actually have talked about this and we take this from two, two very different approaches. Yeah, I I would say as a visual, if you're if you're going down the same path and things are happening in one way and you continue to go in that way without changing anything, what do you think the end result's gonna be? It's gonna be continued diminishing returns or continued, 
whatever you're currently experiencing. So first off, you have to think out of the box. You have to start changing some stuff up. One of the ways is become become friendly and partner with local quote unquote cool brands. Like figure out what brands in your respective area attract a younger audience. For the most part, it's usually a brewery. There's breweries in a lot of rural areas. There's breweries, I mean, really now all over the place now. Uh, and they tend to attract, they ha- tend to have a tap room that is a social center of sorts. So tap into different breweries, get them involved, and that's how you can get in front of a different crowd. I would also say be open-minded to the type of music you're curating. You have to, <laughs> if, if you stick with such a strict definition of the type of music that can only play our festival is X, then again, you're gonna attract the same crowd. So if you can't put your ego aside and open yourself up, open the festival up to other bands that are progressive but still in the scene, you're not gonna attract a new crowd. So in a nutshell, there's, I, I, I'm not even gonna touch upon digital. Digital is just the medium. You know, you need the, you need the product to change and you need the experience to change and then, yeah, like use digital to push it out. <laughs> so that's that's mine in a nutshell. Phil. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's I think that's a huge part of it. Obviously, it's one of the main reasons that when we buy talent for Charm City, like we keep our definition very broad. But one of my client, Frank Sullivan, has a very great saying: "All grass, all the time." And I think there, and he has this graphic of this umbrella, right? And it's got all sorts of genres of music, and at the end, the handle is just called bluegrass. I think. If you keep that, that's something I keep in mind when I'm looking at talent for Charm City. Obviously, I want to find the best and the brightest, right? And, and there's, but I'll give you a really good example. There's a couple. One of them is like Dory Friedman for this year. She's not someone who I think you'd find at a lot of traditional bluegrass festivals mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but her songwriting and her singing is so fantastic that she's propelling herself to the next level of the Americana roots scene. Yes. But I think she's going to fit in and vibe so well with our our core audience because our core audience is open-minded you know i think it starts with attract the audience you want to see and you want to be a part of um this is the kind of audience that adam and i like to be a part of these kind of show like the kind of environment you know super family friendly very open-minded people who who yeah have a good time and they'll drink some beers but they're also intelligent music um consumers if that makes any sense they they can sit down and they can open up their mind and kind of step back from being at a bluegrass festival, and, I, and I'm using air quotes for that, and, and envision something a little bit broader, right? This loose definition, this loose genre that I think we're a part of. And that's why I think our audience responds, ages, trusts us for that, those very reasons. You know, I, I've been to plenty of traditional bluegrass festivals, and they all are fantastic, and they have their own little vibes. Um, but I think oftentimes the audience is what drives that, that energy and that feeling. And, and just our demographic does that better than any, any other, in my opinion, than other demographics. And so we, we cater to that while kind of steering the ship at the same time. You know, I think, I think Dory is a good example of that. Um, you know, we've obviously done it in years past, too, with plenty of other bands. So that's, that's the approach. And, and from a talent buying perspective, that's the approach I take to it. So uh, uh, the plans are to continue to brand as Charm City Bluegrass Correct. Festival rather than a generic music Music festival. It'll continue as Charm City. Yeah. The overarching organization it's, is Charm City Bluegrass and allows us to do the Charm <clears throat> City Bluegrass Festival. 
Um, our By, fall, yeah. yeah, fall throwdown was called fall throwdown. It yeah. Is. By keeping bluegrass, it's not like we're doing something that other major major brands haven't already done yeah. with keeping their genre in their name because that's where they're rooted in. Um, as as more of a brand rather than we have to abide by this strict definition of what this particular word means to people because it's mm. varying it's varying uh, i mean you know some i mean there's some people that that think like only 40s bluegrass boys is true bluegrass everything outside of that like flat and scrugs too progressive you know like, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not trying to appease the people that think of bluegrass so strictly because they're not going to like our festival. And it's not where Phil and I, and, and I would speak for the team, uh, hearts and minds are either. We like a variety of different types of roots music. So Jazz Fest, I mean, they have Elton John at times. They have Snoop, they have Snoop Dogg. They have Snoop Dogg. Right. So, you know, you have... You have Del Fest, which is Del McCurry's festival. You know, they have Trey Anastasio band and yeah, and, and Tedeschi Trucks and, and Government Mule. Big, yeah. big like Southern rock, funk, indie rock yeah, bands. Like, and rope. I mean You know, even Grey Fox, they they've become, especially in the last couple years, have, have started to branch out in in the type of bands that they bring as well. So you know, I mean, Telluride Bluegrass Festival, they, they don't stick with just bluegrass yeah. either. I mean, they branch out as well. So Obviously, Hardly Strictly is... Hardly Strictly is indie rock for the most part, I would yeah. say. Country music. Uh, you know, but there's, so but there's I, swaths of, of the homage and, yeah, and, and the tribute to it. And if you look at the organizing bodies of each genre, let's say like IBMA or Folk Alliance... Or um, I'm sure there's other organizing groups around specific types of genres. It's to me, it's more of a community than anything. So by tapping into the folk community, by tapping into the bluegrass community, by tapping into the funk community, jam community, um, we attract a variety of different types of people, and they all, from what we've seen, tend to like each other's music anyway. And, and speaking of I, IBMA, uh, who clearly, uh, for good reason, in my opinion, refuses to define exactly what bluegrass music yeah. is. Uh, Wisely so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, the festival was the Momentum Award winner in 2016 for Event of the Year. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you, uh, you, you clearly attracted uh, uh, a great deal of attention down there. And also uh, um, a local award from, was it Baltimore Magazine or... Yeah. yeah, we've had a couple of Baltimore Magazine award honors uh, yeah. for event of the year yeah. or a festival, a festival music, the, music, music festival, festival of the year. year. Yeah, yeah. Both Adam and I are leadership bluegrass alumni, so I mean, mm -hmm. we we have a strong, you know, a very big place in our heart for IBMA, mm -hmm. but we can certainly, um, how do I say this? We certainly see that IBMA has, you know, enough. It's there's. It, let's not lie to ourselves. There's internal struggles within the organization about this very subject. Far, far fewer today than there was. It's getting better. It's getting better. Getting better. It's getting better. Sure. better. Right. But I think, and I think that's a tribute to to folks opening up their mind to the genre, and and really, actually, I think in a lot of ways, 
the, there's been a lot of traditional bands that have kind of leapt out of the genre. It's in it, what you would define as like that traditional environment who are attracting attention from a much wider audience because the art form itself is so inviting and so um, and so mesmerizing, mesmerizing and captivating. I think Poe Ramblin' Boys are a fantastic example of that. Mm-hmm. These are these young gritty tattooed up guys wearing these fantastic looking suits singing and playing what i would consider in my head relatively traditional bluegrass yeah everything's relative yeah but they're attracting folks the punks and they're attracting you know folks from the intellectual scene and they're attracting old and young and because it's because there's something relatable there just enough relatable there for everyone Mm -hmm. you know And, and i think ibma is on that path i mean obviously poe ramblers have got a lot of recognition within ibma yeah IBMA is on that path. There's still a ways to go, but I like what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I, ho- I hope that uh, clarifies that mm-hmm. a little bit. Now, uh, this is this next uh, question is probably uh, directed more toward uh, Adam, and it's probably very old old school for you. But I, I run across event producers that, for whatever reason, either do not understand or refuse to acknowledge the importance of social media with regards to branding or general marketing of uh, of an event um, how do you guys use social media and what what platforms do you tend to focus on if I can ask that yeah I mean right now the only social media platform that we're really not on is TikTok which tends to we yield should, we should get on TikTok you want to start over TikTok right now <laughs> TikTok this podcast. so we might end up being on TikTok, TikTok by the time <laughs> this comes out that 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 skews we're not on Pinterest. Are we on Pinterest? Not really. Yeah, we're not really on Pinterest. That, yeah, so we have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and across YouTube. and YouTube, and across those platforms, we have an audience of about twenty five thousand people. Um, probably more. I don't know how many YouTube subscribers off the top of we had. We had. Uh, last I checked, I got the stats. Not, yeah, anyway. it's like maybe a thousand. And, and what, yeah, any, what what metrics are important to you on on those? I mean, to me, it's obviously followers always because we don't pay for followers. So we try to get real followers uh, because fake followers don't really do anything for us. And if you get caught on any of those platforms paying for fake followers, you can get severely penalized. So don't go down that route. It's mostly I'm going to say an organic build, although we do spend a good amount of money on Facebook and Instagram advertising because the targeting uh, is just there's there's no other targeting platform in the world for advertising that's more powerful and specific uh, than than Facebook's tools and that includes Google uh, the amount of data obviously this has become a thing of big uh, contention and and press but at the end of the day what we're trying to do is give people the most relevant engaging content that we can possibly serve to them and that's what facebook is also trying to do facebook owns instagram so whenever i say that they're interchangeable but it's it's just a platform to be able to reach anyone that you could possibly want by targeting behaviors and interests and and our own fan base that we've curated so if you're not on social media i mean it's 2020 
Like I, I don't I, <laughs> buckle up, Buttercup. I mean, I would say there's no helping you, but I would <laughs> I would also I would also be positive and say you need to get on it today. Hey, at least they won't have bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> well, with with, with, with regards to, to Facebook uh, metrics, I mean, outside of things like uh, reach and followers and likes, we uh, get link click throughs. We can track sales. Yeah, specific we, revenue numbers yeah, we use attributed the, to we the, the advertising. The and and are, are you guys like using that. Google Analytics? Yes. With, with yeah. You, you are. Yeah, there's Google works. Analytics, but there's also Facebook's yeah. own tracking pixel yeah. that acts Just as, as the tracker yeah. for all of these different metrics. Yeah. So it's an easy installation to put on your on your website. And we also use it. Pop without, the code in. Yeah, we also analyze the data from those social media platforms and kind of up and through point of sale. Then with our back our backdated data of sales information within uh, Mission Text, so yeah. we kind of take a holistic approach to the analytical side of, of the of the marketing of the festival itself. But I think we're unique, not unique, but I think we view ourselves as not just these festival event. Pre- we're also content creators in the sense that we're constantly pushing content out on all of our social media channels mm-hmm. year round. And that's part of been what what I think separates us from a lot of other. I mean, a lot of events do it. Um, I, and I'll say there's one that actually there's a couple that do it really well. And I, I, one of them's the um, I don't know if you know the radio show live from here. Oh, um, of course, uh, Chris. Uh, right. Chris. So yeah, the way they push out media content on across their social media channels is unbelievable. Their engagement is is mind blowing, and it's because it's always fresh and different and real time. And that I think those. Fresh, different, real-time, I think those are three key um, terms that we think about when we're trying to put out our content. Mm -hmm. Um, I just recommend anyone looking to do this and to take this approach, see what they do. Because every week in their season is an event, and they make it an event, not just through their watch parties, but then through the content that they curate after the fact. Which then lives, you know, as a, as a means not just to pre- not just to preserve and archive what they've done, but as a means to promote future events for themselves. Yeah, I mean, look at look at what NPR has done with yeah, Tiny Desk. Same thing. I mean, you have every artist of any genre wanting to be a part of that. You just had Taylor Swift. It was awesome. Who's the, the biggest? Way. Who's arguably the biggest art audio? One of the biggest artists in the world yeah. just do an acoustic solo set because it was a platform that had enough reach for her to still make time for. She can kind of get rooted in a more like authentic experience and then strip down her songs to just her her voice and her guitar, her acoustic guitar on, playing. becomes a notch on their belts, you know? A notch yeah. on the bedpost. So, I mean, you know, going back to the, the early days of, of recorded video performances like MTV Unplugged and and you know the emergence the Sullivan of Sullivan Show, for example. Yeah, I mean, these were all landmarks that musicians so, took. Yeah, as, as to stake their so, claim. So to Phil's point, I mean, I would invest in video if you're a not something that you grab on your camera phone because although the cameras are the videos are getting better and better and better, there's only so much you can do on your camera phone. So professional video grab a song obviously get whatever permissions that you need and then use that content to over time over years you can use it to promote your festival in a social media landscape which 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 gives which gives benefit to video content it opens you up more organically than just images and especially images with text so you want to think of ways 
to maximize your organic reach, and video is one of the best ways to do that. And it goes even further then. You know, it's one of the other things we think about is how does what we're doing look on video? So that's the way we stage our stages. It's the way we have our backdrops. It's mm-hmm. the look, it's the look, the feel, the mm-hmm. vibe. I mean, all that is, those are not just moments in time, but they're moments that are going to live on through time. So in addition to uh, Facebook and the YouTube platforms, which are the sort of the, the big elephants in the in the social Google media. Versus, you, yeah, yeah. Google versus as Facebook. As far as the, the shorter form stuff, like Twitter and, and Instagram. Instagram. Um, we used to do a lot of conversations with like Delfest about, remember that? We had a, I don't know if you were on it, but if you look back at our Twitter feed, I used to have conversations with other festivals on Twitter. I have Twitter, com, you know, Twitter combos. <laughs> and that was earlier days of Twitter. We're talking, two, excuse me, 2000, like, I don't know, 14, 13. You can look back. Um, Instagram, though, Adam crushes it. I mean, we put a ton of content out there, and our, he does fantastic Instagram stories. I mean, they're really good. And that's been a huge um, driver of engagement. Yeah, I mean, they're the quick hits. People look at Instagram stories, and they can they can swipe to get details. They can go anywhere they want from there. It's just quick hits. It's a cool gate. It's a cool gate. and uh, Not cool gate. A cool gate at the <laughs> entrance. Sorry, uh, in, in terms, you know, and Instagram is trying to become its own video network too with Instagram uh, TV, IGTV. You can now upload long form videos onto Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to stay within that one minute can restraint that they've had for a long time. The announcement of Instagram TV that they announced like a couple years ago, I think. Uh, you can now search and upload video. Instagram, it's a little harder because you got to get the video on your phone and then you got to upload it through there. So it's a little bit more logistically difficult to move major files like video and get it like onto your phone if you get it if you get it from a third party source. So there is a little bit of that that's annoying, but you know people are looking for video and really everywhere now. So just be there and and try your best to. To upload that stuff. So uh, the dates of the 2020 festival are the 24th and 25th of April. And uh, since this will most likely be aired, if aired is the term, after yeah. uh, uh, after you guys make a formal announcement, uh, anything you'd like to share about the lineup? Uh, at this yeah, I just moment? I just got it pulled up. So we have the infamous String Dusters. We have Yonder Mountain String Band. We have Little Smokies. Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper, Poe Ramblin' Boys, Gangsta Grass, uh, this really amazing uh, Mexican all-female mariachi band that's been very popular in the Roots music scene. They just did a song with John Legend. Uh, Flor de Toloache is the name. We have Twisted Pine. We have Wooden Wire. We have Dory Freeman. We have uh, Navy Bluegrass Band, Country, Country Current. Current. Dan Tall Buildings. Uh, Gina Furtado Band, um, Haint Blue, uh, High and Wides. Justin Trawick. Justin Trawick. I uh, just confirmed as we were actually sitting on this podcast, the Hackensaw Boys, for our late night. Boom. (laughs) Hackensaw Boys is going to be a rowdy late night. Yeah, with uh, Dirty Grass players uh, going to... Awesome. Round out that late night, you know, and and a lot more. So literally, as we're talking on this podcast, my confirmation came through. (laughs) So is is there anything uh, you guys just want to add to sort of uh, put the ribbons on it or free form or uh... Uh, hopefully this time next year uh, my client Frank Sullivan Kitchen will want a Grammy. 
Yeah. Right? That's kind of cool. Up That's right. Album, we, we did not mention, of the year. We do not mention that you are also in band management. I am. Which is a fairly recent development. I, I've been, I actually started my music career in band management, um, managing a jam band called Mad Sweet Pangs out of Delaware for a number of years. Grew them, grew them for a while. And then uh, helped manage and produce a band called Yellow Dub Marine. They were a Beatles reggae band that toured uh, internationally even. And then within the last about two years, got back into management, band management with uh, Frank Sullivan, Dirty Kitchen, as well as Man About a Horse. Um, I had helped out some other bands throughout the years, like Cobra Road and Hank Blue. And, like but yeah, working with Frank has been absolutely fantastic. And it's cool because I've, I've been mentored in this process by uh, Chris Harris and Stan Strickland pretty heavily. Um, they're out of Rainmaker Management. They manage Sam Bush, Don McCurry, Gibson Brothers. They've really been a big influence on my career within the music industry over the last number of years. But their encouragement into this management, back, getting back into this band management side of things has been really fantastic. Um, so that's the world I live in outside of the festival. And then I consult with a couple of music venues on, um, on marketing and strategic, kind of strategic overall, like organizational theory and how do you produce not just one event, but many events over time within your organization and kind of how do you structure that and, uh, and go from there. So that's the world I live in. Adam, yeah. anything you want to add before we... Uh... Very, you know, come on out to Charm City this year, especially if you've never been. Very family-friendly. Kids 12 and under get in free. 10 and, uh, 10 and under. 10 and under get in but free. But we really don't ask. <laughs> Kids 10-ish and under 10-ish get in free. Get in free. <laughs> it's not like you can ask them for their driver's license. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, 10-ish. Over, over 40 vendors, including instrument vendors, all types of food, all types of drinks. Uh all types of outdoor vending too. Um, we have like a whole kids play area with featuring bubbles and a local. Uh, is nature, Irvine? Or, yeah, Irvine Nature. Confirmed again. Yeah, Irvine Nature. Irvine so back, Na- yeah. Nature. <clears throat> it's gonna have like a mini petting zoo and. Yeah, I think Evolution Bluegrass is actually gonna this year also do like an instrument kind of like, um, workshopish kind of cool. thing where, where kids can come and try out little instruments. Yeah. But then Martin Guitar is actually building a custom. Um, I hopefully, fingers crossed, like I'm 99% sure, so I can't guarantee it, but I'm going to say 99% a custom Charm City Bluegrass Martin for this year. Cool. And Eastman is doing, you know, uh, so Rouch is yeah. also, you know, very, um, very supportive of our festival. So, so we get, you know, engage all these different, like, awesome brands within the genre mm. who have, you know, and, and they come through for us. And then you can, you can come, yeah. you can, you can sit down, you can stand up and jam, whatever yeah. your vibe Both is. Friday afternoon. We have the space for it. Yeah. Friday, Friday from five to 10, Saturday, all day, 12 hours, 10 to 10. And then we have late night, Saturday night and Friday night, and Friday night yeah. at a local venue. Yeah, so time. make a weekend of it. Come out and enjoy Baltimore yeah. from, you know, Thursday or Friday to Sunday and just experience the city, experience the festival. And uh, the URL for the website is charmcitybluegrass.com or facebook.com slash charmcitybluegrass. Excellent. And uh, for anyone interested in some uh, marketing expertise, Adam, you're, you're... Bluegrass marketer. You can check me out through that or Adam Kier. Search me and I'll come up. Okay. That was Phil Chorney and Adam Kerr in a wide-ranging conversation with Howard Parker about the direction of music festivals and how best to promote them. The 8th Annual Charm City Bluegrass Festival will be held April 24th and 25th in Baltimore's Druid Hill Park. For more information, please visit www.charmcitybluegrass.com.